Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. everybody i'm kim holderness and i'm ken holderness you found the holderness family podcast it is our very favorite thing i like to start these things by painting a picture since this is an audio medium Mm -hmm. uh it's it's laundry day and it's been a long time so i am wearing a swimsuit some hot pink and blue swimsuit with liners because i don't have any underwear (laughs) and a with the hot pink a magenta is that the right color sweatshirt a hoodie um I, it's doing it for me. Babe. I don't match. I've, I've, I haven't put any hair product in and I'm wearing spectacles. Yeah. It's, so, it's working for me, babe. Yeah. Um, I think it's, this has been kind of a day that my birthday was yesterday and I had a couple of beers, which now like I can't drink two beers anymore without feeling a little welcome to yeah, middle age. Yeah, exactly. Like even like a little bit of anxiety in the morning and then it got off to a weird start with our kids. And so this is kind of like a perfect time for us to have this guest on our show because yes. she's amazing at this. Amazing. First, I want to get a review. Or yes. Get a review. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I was supposed to do that. Yeah, you were. Okay. Do you want me to do it? Yeah. Okay. And then I'm going to let Kim talk. <laughs> uh, so, by the way, a reminder to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. This is a recent review. And by the way, you guys, these reviews are, they mean so much to us. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Heather from Reno. She said, I love listening to your podcasts. They make me think and grow and inspire me to become a better partner and parent. Thank you for the quality discussions. Thank you, Heather. And today's podcast, let me tell you, first of all, you're going to geek out about the sound of Dr. Lisa DeMora's voice. I am. Uh, and it's, I'm sorry, if, <laughs> but I guarantee you someone else was thinking it. Let's, let's just let, we'll let it roll and see if I wasn't she alone. She has the that. dreamiest voice, yeah. but I will say before I give you her official bio, I have read her books and I would say, you know, you read all the books, but you know, when you get pregnant and when you have an infant, you read all those books and then life takes over and you just kind of get busy. And, you know, I've definitely read the parenting books. Absolutely. But I have to say the most impactful parenting book that I read was called Untangled. I remember guiding teenage girls through the seven transitions into adulthood. And it really informed my perspective on parenting both of my children. So I would say, even if you have a son, it's a worthy read. And it really helped me understand their developing minds and bodies and about how much they're going through during this time in adolescence and how normal it is. And it helped me approach parenting my children with great empathy. And it also gave me very practical strategies about those predictable stressors. And and it was just so incredibly impactful. And it's the book, you've heard me recommend it in this podcast, but she has a an, an updated, not an updated book, a, a more recent book called Under Pressure, Confronting the Epidemic of Stress and Anxiety in Girls. And 
Yeah, let's just introduce Dr. Lisa Demore. Yeah, I mean, you just did a great job of it. I don't want to. I will say that the that while you were reading it, you passed it over to me for a part about dads that I thought was amazing too. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that in the podcast. But uh, the official bio: uh, Dr. Lisa Demore is the author of two New York Times bestselling books, as Kim told you, "Untangled: Guiding Teenage Girls Through the Seven Transitions into Adulthood," and "Under Pressure: Confronting the Epidemic of Stress and Anxiety in Girls." She writes the monthly adolescence column for the New York Times. She co-hosts the Ask Lisa podcast. She appears as a regular contributor to CBS News, works in collaboration with UNICEF, and serves on the advisory board for Parents Magazine. Dr. Demore also maintains a private practice and consults and speaks internationally. And she has two daughters, which I bet is great research. And, and let me just say that this podcast is going to help you and it's going to make you feel better about how you're doing as a parent and it's going to help you understand your kids a little bit more. And if you haven't gotten to the point where we are, you're going to remember this in a few years. Yeah. Welcome to the show, Dr. Lisa Damore. Thank you. I am really glad to be with you. I love you guys. I love your work. Oh my gosh. I am starstruck. If you can be starstruck with a psychologist, that is it. We've been talking <laughs> about you for a long time because we have a teenage daughter and literally 57 people recommended Untangled to us the minute our daughter turned 13. Well, no, 11. I read it when she 11. was 11. Oh, that's, true. that's true. It was earlier. Yeah. yeah. And I, I've, I read it, I think, twice. And as I said earlier, it has informed a lot of how I parent, although it is written in the title. And we need to make this clear the your books are written, you know, has girls in the title. I find value with both, you know, for my son as well. So I hear all the time that 80% of both of my books, which are targeted towards girls, that 80% applies to boys as well. Yeah, yeah, they're and it. I have to say it has changed what is the biggest impact is that I am a very empathetic person. Normally, in my normal life, I provide strangers with an intense amount of empathy, but I wasn't really providing my kids that same empathy. And now I know, like when I know what's happening in their brains, it has changed the way I've approached my parenting. So thank you for that. You're welcome. I'll tell you something funny about the book. You know, it's um, it's like my personal intellectual diary. Like My, my heart and mind are really in that book. Mm -hmm. And so there's this strange distortion that I maintain that it actually never published. There's a quality what? of it that is so intimate to me and how I think and how I feel that I can um, tolerate walking around in the world thinking, oh, it's still on my computer. I have yet to send it to my publisher. And so it's a very funny thing that I maintain that side by side with hearing such kind stories like yours that people have recommended it and you have actually read it because those two things, weirdly, I um, believe simultaneously. Okay, hang on. I need, I'm, I've got to follow up on uh, that. This that... is very interesting coming from a psychi psychologist. So may I ask that does that help like keep it more sacred to you is that is that what it is i don't actually know i mean i should have more insight into this i i think there's something about here's what somebody said to me that really i actually was moved to tears when she said it, it was a pediatrician and she said here's the thing about your book because it becomes from your heart it goes right to the heart mm. and that to me felt very true but it also feels you know, something that personal to my heart, and I think that's part of why the book works, mm -hmm. is that it is real in that way about what it means to raise children and be a parent. And I have two kids. I have a daughter who's almost 11. I have a daughter who's almost 18. But I think it also has a very deep personal quality to me. And part of how I can write like that and work like that is just think, well, nobody really reads it. <laughs> that's how I can do it. Yeah, I, I'm just like, I'm stunned by this because you have given us so many sound, practical pieces of advice and walking around pretending like you didn't write the book would not be something that you would write in your book to recommend to someone, is it? <laughs> well, it's, it's not that I, I, di I did write it. I just think it still sits quietly on my computer because mm. it's such a... So personal and I got it. Oh, that's well, that's fascinating. It's, it's a funny thing. I always have this funny moment when lovely humans like you say, "Oh, people have recommended your book, and we've read it, and we've got it." I'm like, "How'd you get it? <laughs> How did they do that?" 
<laughs> they send us a Google Doc, and we just read it off your computer. She's just a little crazy, just like us. <laughs> just a little. We're, just we're, a little. I can observe yeah. my own neurotic yeah. process. We're just a little crazy, that. too. So you're going to be in good company here. So I, I have to say, I'm knee-deep into your newest book, which came out in 2019, which is Under Pressure, Confronting the Epidemic of Stress and Anxiety in Girls. And I think you could just say stress and anxiety, and, and yeah. I think I think a lot of it applies to boys as well, which I know it was published pre-pandemic, correct? It was, and it went into paperback right as the pandemic began, and it really feels like a very pandemic book. Oh, it does, and it's so funny because you say you have epidemic in the title, and I was like, girl. It takes the topic of anxiety and confronts it head on and, and, and kind of dividing the stress of like where that anxiety and where those stressors are come from. But I want to back up for a second because hasn't anxiety and stress always been a part of our life? Are we just now just naming it differently? Are we diagnosing more readily? Is there really more stress and anxiety now for our children than we went through? I think the answer to both of those questions, I think you're spot on. I think the answer to both is yes. One, that stress and anxiety have always been a part of life. And we've a bit lost sight of that as a culture. I think there is this belief or hope that if you just do all the right things or buy all the right wellness products, you could get yourself to a state of ease and comfort and you could stay there. That was never on the menu. That was never <laughs> true. And that's a relatively new idea that is not helpful to us. And then right next to that is the reality that things are more stressful. And it is different now to be a parent, to be a child, to read the newspaper. You know, all of that. It's different than I think it has been in past times. Where's the line? I've always been curious about this because there is that kind of, I've got a test tomorrow. I'm pretty nervous about it. And then there's then there's your body takes over and your brain goes on vacation because your body has elevated you to a point where like you may even start acting irrationally. Great question, right? So if we if we step back a minute and say, okay, so stress and anxiety are part of life. How do we know when they become problematic? To do that, part of what we want to define, and this feels radical, but it's really very conventional psychology, we want to define healthy anxiety and we want to define healthy stress, especially because those two words are not often used together, mm -hmm. healthy anxiety, healthy stress. So healthy anxiety is feeling a little nervous before a test, especially if it's a big test. Mm -hmm. And what we know is anxiety alerts us to what we should be paying attention to. It tunes us into potential threats. It's protective. It's a gift handed to us by evolution. All of that is good. And in fact, a little anxiety, a little juice, a little rev before a test or a performance or a tryout or a game improves how well you do in that thing. You actually mm -hmm. don't want to be very, very relaxed. There's actually a quote from Beyonce. She says, I get nervous if I'm not nervous before a show because then it won't be a good show. So that's healthy. The line gets crossed on anxiety. There's a few things that can happen. One is it gets crossed if that anxiety gets ratcheted up and pendants exactly to what you described to a level where it actually starts to become an interference, where it undermines the ability to think clearly, where the heart rate is through the roof, and that's really upsetting and distracting. And we actually see, we call it a, a, a you know, it looks like a bell curve, like an inverted U of performance, whereas anxiety rises, performance improves, and then as anxiety gets higher and higher, performance starts to plummet. So we worry about that. And we also worry about anxiety if nothing's wrong. That would be unhealthy anxiety. So we want to see a little anxiety if, you know, you're driving and somebody swerves and cuts you off. You should feel anxious. That's good. It will train your attention on that driver. But if you're driving and everything around you okay, is okay, we don't want to see your anxiety going through the roof. So those are the distinctions we make. And on stress, stress is good. It happens anytime we're adapting and it means we're growing. It doesn't feel good, but it is evidence of growth. And we only worry about stress when it's traumatic, when it's a huge, horrible event we would never want for anybody, or if there's no capacity for recovery, if there's stress, stress, stress all the time, and no ability to rest, consolidate that growth, and then come back at it. I'm going to have a quick ADHD moment. That was the perfect answer. I'm having like major ASMR tingles from her voice. <laughs> 
and she reads her audiobooks. So oh my the, god, I'm, I'm like, I'm, yeah, I was starting on Tangled. I'm putting it down. I'm listening to the book. Well, it's so, like I'm feeling so chill just by the tenor of her voice. Yeah, so you have uh, the best voice of anyone we've ever interviewed. I, I know that has nothing to do with what you just said. But like half of me was like, this is good advice. And the other part was like, I am getting hypnotized right now. <laughs> oh, that's good. You know what would be a really funny spoof I've often thought is if you had a psychologist who had really good advice and like the worst voice ever, like wouldn't it be a funny thing? <laughs> like Gilbert Gottfried saying the exact yes, same exactly. thing. Like saying, saying really helpful things, but in a voice for, that like yeah. just sends you over the edge. For that same reason, I think Bob Ross missed his calling. I know. Like he should have been a psych. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I know that had nothing to do with it. It was great advice. I think no, like, but I so love she hearing does it. record her audiobook. Yeah, so, good yeah. to know. Okay, but but healthy stress. That I, I've been so, curious about that because I think I have some of that and I also have some of the other stuff. Well, I have to say for me personally that, and I have shared on this podcast in other forms so stress you know anxiety and depression that's you know been diagnosed gone to a doctor at times been medicated for it but i have i have to say there are times when anxiety has held me back from trying things meeting people going out i mean to the point where there is a parent social for our sixth grader on friday night and i'm already like "Ooh, how do i get out of that <laughs> like so but i know that have you figured out a way or are you still going oh lola has a tennis lesson and ends kind of late so i'll just be late i'll be no no i'll be there just be late which is like but i have to say knowing that it's just it's it's normal to have it and it's and it's completely just i need to push past it to show up and be in front of people that is just like what needs to happen so yes this is advice for my teenager but also for me and it does and i will tell you here are the three words on anxiety if you only ever focus on three words it's that avoidance feeds anxiety mm -hmm. when we steer clear of the things we're scared of it actually ratchets up our fear of those things um, the more we avoid them, the more, you know, we imagine them to be terrible. We picture all those sixth grade parents and how unfriendly <laughs> they will be. And then when you actually show up at the thing, you're like, oh, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. It's nice to see you. And and the, we, we use the term exposure, you know, but actually being there tends to level set mm -hmm. what your fears should be. And one of the things you're describing, Kim, is I think what a lot of people are struggling with at this point in the pandemic, which is that we just had 18 months of mandated <sighs> avoidance for health reasons. Yeah. It's pretty uphill at this point for people to come back into the world. And on this one, I would say, you know, you can't entirely trust your anxiety levels as a good read on how frightened you should be because they are in some ways artificially ratcheted up mm. by all of this avoidance. And don't you feel like some children and some adults, like I do feel like my meter, when I came out into this world, my meter was not set correctly. So I'm always a little high, like I'm always vibrating a little and that I just need to know that my meter can't always be trusted. You've started talking about vibrating, Kim, like the, like as like a vibration that you feel in the morning when you mm -hmm. know that the panic attack is coming. And you've started talking about that more in the last couple of months. Mm -hmm. Has that always been the case or have you just been able to verbalize it before? And I'm, I guess I want to ask uh, the doctor if that's a, a description that she often hears when it when anxiety is being brought up. Well, I'll go first in yeah. that like my base level and I, I joke about it, but it's true. Like my base level, I have to like eat right, exercise, not drink too much, all of these things to just like operate in a fully as a fully functioning adult because if any one of those things slips yeah like i start like i feel like a baseline vibration of just like oh traffic on the way to school like there's there's things that will like hold me back from being a productive human and then i guess your question for doctor yeah have you heard that term vibration before as like the onset of anxiety i haven't but i like it and, and i think it captures that sense of vulnerability, you know, or sort of a hum that's already afoot. And then it means it could amplify anything else that gets added to it. And and Kim, I, I've been fortunate not to suffer from anxiety or depression in any diagnosable way, you know, anxiety and sadness in the normal forms or the garden variety forms. But I will tell you, I have felt fragile mm -hmm. in a way that is not for me, very familiar, that I, I have tended to feel like I'm a pretty sturdy person and not that emotionally reactive. And I have watched as things that normally would have been um, 
concerning to me. I've watched my meter go up way higher than I know is really sensible. And and I, I really chalked it up to the pandemic that way in which our world got flipped upside down overnight. Everything we knew was had to be renovated. That was so jarring that I think there's a lot of aftermath to mm-hmm. that. This podcast is brought to you by Third Love. The weather is getting cooler and I'm officially living in sweatpants. Like as soon as I come home from any activity, jeans off, sweatpants on. On the daily. No no variation. <laughs> and and you know, I love to take my bra off at the end of the day. Yes, I do. It is like the best, you know, just like click. It's the signal for the end of the day. But I will say Third Love bras are so comfortable, I could leave them on. Also, they're, they, you kind of look hot in them. I'm just going to say that. Let's move on. Let's move on. Yep. But thank you. I appreciate that. Third Love believes that everybody is amazing and deserves to be treated that way. As women, we put our bodies through so much with exercise, family, and fashion. Yeah, Third Love obsesses over every stitch, so you never have to think about how something feels, looks, or wears. While trends come and go, Third Love has always stayed true to one notion. We do comfort, you do you. And they do it with this thing called the fitting room quiz online. It's like a personal shopper, but only better, and they have helped 18 million women find their true bra size. Third Love also gives back. Third Love is the largest donor of undergarments in the United States. Like, seriously, honestly, like, we've, we've talked to the owner. They have no weaknesses. Like, they're comfortable to you, you look hot in them, and they do good for the community. So, like, that, it's bonus. Yeah. Third Love knows you deserve to feel comfortable and confident 24-7. So, right now, they're offering our listeners 20% off your first order. So, go to thirdlove.com slash holderness now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash holderness, H-O-L-D-E-R-N-E-S-S to get 20% off today. So let's go, let's get the cliff notes from you. I know the books are fantastic, but our, I think our listeners would love to know when we are talking about healthy anxiety versus you know clinical anxiety, and then we're bringing in 11 to 16 year old girls who are becoming women who are getting new hormones, whose brains have been altered in a a semi fundamental way. I think you do a better job than many explaining the brain of it could be a girl or a boy going through those changes. Can you give us your elevator speech on what that's like? Absolutely. So The framing of it being a neurological project, which it really is, is so important. And it also helps us as parents to not be as reactive as we might otherwise be. What we know is that in the course of adolescence, the brain remodels. It becomes more efficient. It becomes more powerful in new ways. And the thing that is so tricky is that it remodels in the order in which it initially developed, which is from the primitive regions in the back, above the neck, up to the frontal lobes, which are behind the forehead. And so where things get tricky is that the emotion centers are in the back. They are, you know, very old parts of the brain drive our emotions. And so those get upgraded first. They become faster and more powerful in young teenagers. And that that timing of that is very much driven by puberty. So often a little earlier for girls, a little later for boys because puberty lags in boys behind girls. So, you know, for girls, it's somewhere around 11, 12, 13. For boys, it can be closer to 12, 13, 14, 15, where that emotion center is just getting charged. It's just, it's incredibly powerful. And the front of the brain, the part behind the forehead that maintains perspective is basically the uh, the neurological breaks. Those don't get upgraded until later in adolescence, um, closer to 15, 16, 17. And so what you see around, I would say 13's the peak age for dysregulation, as we call it, is that teenagers have really gawky brains. And when they're upset, their emotion centers can really get ramped up and be very powerful. And their neurological breaks, their frontal lobes are comparatively weak in terms of helping them be able to maintain perspective. And that evens out over time. We see that emotionality peaks at 13. And I think a lot of people feel like their 10, 11 year olds pretty mellow. 12, 13, 14, 15 is rocky. And then 16, 17, 18, 19, you feel like, oh, who's this lovely, you know, level headed perspective taking person who's come back into our house. But it's a tough passage, that piece when they can dysregulate very quickly. 
I think learning that from you, and I think I, you know, I read that in Untangled. You you could, you laid that out in a beautiful way. So when Lola turned thirteen, she actually got very upset. She never wanted to be called thirteen because there was this um, kind of stigma of like, oh, thirteen, she's a teenager, she'll be terrible. She is such a delightful human, despite our best efforts, that she never <laughs> wanted to be labeled a teenager. She because there was such a stigma attached to how poorly these teenagers behave uh, and we let her know we're like girl it's not going to be your fault there's going to be so many times when your brain's going to it's going to feel like a snow globe has been shaken in your brain and it's not your fault but what we will always ask is that you treat us with respect you treat your friends with respect and yourself with respect and then we'll just work it out by the way she uh, made up a new name for 13 she called it Threlve because she didn't want to be 13 <laughs> which I thought was oh, pretty funny that. yeah she's like that. I don't want to be 13 because you know because everybody treats us you know t- treats teenagers so terribly um, that being said you you Tell some stories about using anxieties as warning flags. You know, we talked about the benefit of it. Uh, you gave an example um, in your most recent book about, you know, a girl, you know, she was at a party and she was drinking, which, you know, is going to happen in high school. But kind of, you know, there were some feelings she was feeling, but then she was having to met. She medicated through alcohol. Can you kind of tell us what, how should we be having these conversations with our kids about using your anxiety as using it as a tool well that story in in um under pressure it really this to me is the huge hazard of pathologizing all anxiety because exactly you know the way that story unfolds is you know she gets to a party the party's a bit out of control she starts to feel anxious which is exactly the right feeling you know exactly that sense of you know something's not right i need to make an adjustment and because anxiety has been so pathologized in our culture, she thinks, okay, I got to get rid of this anxiety and hey, check it out. I'm at a party. This is not that hard to do. And then she starts drinking. And so that's exactly how we don't want this to go down. So to prevent that, the way to talk to our daughters and our sons is to really, and this, this feels like a stretch, but it's really how we talk and think in psychology, to frame anxiety as a friend. It's it's an alert system. It's an alarm. And so when a young person is anxious or an adult is anxious, we don't want them to be anxious about being anxious. We want them to focus on whatever the issue is and then see if they need to make an adjustment, see if their anxiety is getting their attention in a useful way. It's not always a perfect alarm, but most of the time it's a useful signal. And it's really valuable to help ourselves and young people see it that way, especially because if we don't, we first feel anxious, probably for a good reason. And then we think, oh, no, and now I have anxiety on top of everything. This is terrible. No, it's not terrible. It's a useful emotion that's often the right feeling at the right time. And we've talked before about like knowing when the guidepost of knowing when, okay, it's beyond useful and it's getting in, in the way and we need to seek some help. So we went to Instagram and, and just opened this up for our viewers and listeners if they had any questions of you, and we'll be sprinkling those in. But one of them I think is appropriate here is how can I get my child to talk to me about their anxiety? It's very clear they're suffering from anxiety, but she's not talking to me. She's a brick wall of emotion right now, and she's saying everything is fine. So how can we get our kids to open up about what's really happening? This is one of my favorite questions in all of parenting, and it's it's one of those that does come up a fair bit. And I have the pleasure of writing a monthly adolescence column for the New York Times, and I had heard this question often enough that I actually was with a pack of adolescents, and I was like, uh, hey, you guys, you know that thing you do where you're clearly upset, and your parent is saying, you know, what's wrong, what's wrong, and you're saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I said, what's the story there? What's the deal? And they're like, oh, it's one of four reasons. <laughs> oh, like, let okay. me write this column for you. Yes, uh, And this is why I love teenagers. Like, if you ask them a straight question, they will give you a straight answer. So the first thing they said is, we know what you'll say. So I'm sitting here upset or anxious because I got a test grade back that I was a really you know low test grade. And it's the exact test that you asked me last night if I had studied enough for. And so if I tell you that's why I'm upset, I know what you're going to say. I don't really want to hear it, so I can't say anything. Mm. So that was one reason. The second reason is you'll blab. I'll tell you what I'm upset about, and then you're going to get on the phone with your sister, and then she's going to come over at Thanksgiving. And when I'm not thinking about it, she's going to bring it up, and Mm. I don't really want that. Mm. 
The third reason is, and this, this is why I love teenagers so much, they're like, well, it's complicated. So, so the reason I'm upset is Susie was really mean at me to school at school today, and, you know, she's been off and on mean for me, to me since the third grade, and you don't like Susie. But I also know in two weeks Susie's having a party. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. Opening up to a therapist might feel uncomfortable, cathartic, exhausting, or even exhilarating. But one thing's for certain, if you keep talking or texting with a licensed therapist, you will gain insights and uncover truths that you can only find in therapy. Get those personal breakthroughs and judgment-free support by signing up for Talkspace. At Talkspace.com, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. There's no need to commute to appointments, miss time at work, or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. Talkspace is also affordable and in-network with most major insurers. To celebrate May, Mental Health Awareness Month, and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering every listener of this podcast $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com slash Holderness. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Holderness to get $80 off your first month with code SPACE80 and to show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash Holderness with code SPACE80. I really want to go to. And so if I tell you today that my problem is Susie, I have a problem in two weeks when I want to go to that party. (laughs) They're layers, yeah. And then the fourth thing they said is, and I, I remember the girl who said it. She said, here's the thing. By the time I get home, I am 90% of the way over what it is that made me upset. And rehashing the whole thing for my mom is actually not going to help me feel better. Mm. So the takeaway here is, first of all, there's a lot of context operating in that space around a child sharing their feelings with their parents. And we forget that as parents. We're like, I'm just curious, cutie, what's going on? And they're like, lady, (laughs) there's a lot going on. It's really hard to get into the details. And so we have to remember all of that context. If we've blown it and we've blabbed, we have to own that. And and sometimes we do that because it doesn't seem like a big deal to us what they've shared. It seems like every teenager feels that way, but it does feel like a big deal to yeah. them. I'm going to tell a story about um, me and my daughter. And I listen, I, I want to thank you for what you said about dads in Untangled. Really, like the first few pages, it, it was, look, there's this stigmatism that dads are like, oh, well, she's a teenager. I'm done. I'll see you after college. Let me know where to send the check. Like that's kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to be distant. And you kind of immediately dismissed that and said, no, wrong. You don't wrong. get a, yeah, get out of jail. Let's, let, let's help you understand this. So yeah. I'm, I'm very grateful. And I'm not that kind of guy anyway. I was, I'll, I'll share with you. I was kind of the Manny for the first six months. So I was a big oh. part of the imprinting process. She is, this is for Lola also. I mean, both kids mean the world to me. I guess we're focusing mostly on Lola now and we'll, we'll, Pen Charles is, is coming up next and I can use some of the other lessons. But a lot of my interactions with Lola, who has like, a, I think a healthy amount of anxiety are um, as a tennis dad. First of all, tennis is not helping. I hate it. It's not, <laughs> but it's also, <laughs> it's so good for her. Anyway, but yeah, it, it's a lot of that positive stuff you were talking about. Like I, I have a lot of things. I have a lot of feelings I'm having right now. And one of them was <laughs> you, when you said that anxiety could be an, a, a good thing. Like when we get her, when she gets revved up in the right way, she looks like superwoman out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, when things go wrong, they go wrong. So yeah. Okay. So yesterday, like all of these things that you're talking about happened to be yesterday, <laughs> right? So I'm in the, I'm, I'm in the parking lot and someone was asking about me me it was asking Lola about me and afterwards she's like like you probably just are talking to my friends behind my back now aren't you and I'm like no I'm not 
But that's the, what do you mean talking to about you? I, someone asked like, cause we were gone for a few weeks and someone asked about it. And Lola's like, well, you probably just told her, didn't you? And I was like, no, Lola, I don't talk to your friends behind your back, but that's the, you'll blab thing. Uh-huh. Right. I think they just, they want to control their message and not have of course. Their, their, but I'm kind of a talkative guy and I try to break the ice. So like hearing that, I think I'm going to be, I'm going to bring that back a tad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's the other thing that happened. She was in the middle of a match. She hit a great shot. We have this agreement that I can't say, hey, you got this, because that to her sounds like you just messed up. So there's like three things I'm allowed to say now during a match. (laughs) One of them is great shot Lola. So I yelled great shot Lola as loud as I could after a great shot. And she looks at me, stabs a dagger in my eye and gives me a keep it down thing. And I'm like, I don't really know what to do. So I text Kim like, I don't know what's going on. Our daughter, like what's going on with our daughter? Not really empathizing with the fact that her, her brain is being shook like a show, like a snow globe. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, she comes up to me and she goes, daddy, you know that when I tell you that not to listen to me, right? <laughs> Oh, she's like, you should still say it, but I'm not going to ha- always have a great reaction to it. She, she was losing yeah, at the time. She was 90% over it. Right. Yeah. So that was the other thing that when you heard it really helped me understand that like all of these things that are happening to Lola, you just explained the back of her brain is revolting against the front of her brain. You used a term that was called like discombobulated. It was a crazy term for the, the, the brains not working together. Right. Mm-hmm. What was that? What was that term? Dysregulated. Dysregulated. Yes. yes. They, they just, they get, they <laughs> yeah. get knocked off balance. Right. They so, just, and then they regain their balance right. that's it, the thing they dysregulate and then they regulate yeah, again so I we hear do that, nothing yes I hear that word now and I'm like oh I'm, I'm going to say it in my head because it sounds it's, I, like I shouldn't be calling a person this it sounds like it should be some kind of law or um, you know environmental <laughs> function but you know Lola's dysregulated right now and then after the match she's fine and she like actually overcompensated and was very sweet and I loved it so sorry that was a lot of things coming for me just to confirm well, why no, she's, she's saying all this stuff and it's explaining everything but, which is great but to start this so you you were explaining the four reasons why kids aren't saying anything to us. Is there a question? Is there a prompt? Or is there a space we can hold? Like, how do we do this so we can provide an environment in which our kids do feel safe opening up to us? I love that. So there's a few things we can do. One is we can be available when they're ready to talk um, I wrote a piece called "What Do Parents Want? What Do Teenagers Want?" Question mark Potted Plant Parents that that got a lot of traction for a long time. And basically, we have to bear in mind they may not be in the mood to talk when we are in the mood to talk, and and they certainly will talk, but often on their own time. And so it's helpful to teenagers if we are around and available and agendaless, like a potted plant, you know, sort of sitting there mm-hmm. with our newspaper or our email. And then when the mood strikes them to talk, they know where to find us and we're available to have those conversations. So that's one thing we can do to help. Another thing we can do to help is actually say point blank, I may have done something that makes it hard to have this conversation. And if you want to let me know what that is, I really want to make it right. Just ask the question. And again, if you ask a teenager a straight question and they can tell you really want to know, they will tell you. You just have to be willing to hear it. And then the third thing is... You can comfort a teenager without knowing what's wrong. And, and we sometimes forget that. We think, well, until I know the problem, I can't really help. Well, you may never know the problem. There may be too many barriers to telling you the problem. But you can say, honey, like, you seem so upset. Do you want some tea? You know, do you want to go watch, you know, reruns with me? You want to go for a walk with the dog? We can be a warm and comforting presence with no data about what's wrong. And teenagers so appreciate that. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. And I do feel like I've had to admit when I've goofed, because I've goofed plenty in my parenting, and I've had to do it, it's almost like a, 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 I have to kind of, it goes in cycles. Like I have to keep reminding that I'm not a perfect parent and I have to keep reminding that I'm here. To, like you don't get to say it once. You have to say it like many times before to sink in personally. Then hopefully our kids know that we're here and it's safe. We could talk to you for hours and hours, but I want to be respectful of your time. And we I don't. So- I want to talk to her for hours and hours. <laughs> like, I'm learning so much. So, I don't want to be respectful of your time. I'm sorry, doctor. So, You're like, I'm learning way too much. So we did get the advice given to me. We're shifting gears here a little bit about, you know, so Lola's 14. She's a freshman and already school is putting a lot. There's a lot of conversations about college and prepping for college and all those things. And the advice given to me was at home 
just make it a safe space. Don't ever talk about college. Don't ever talk about prepping for college. Don't ever talk about it because they're getting enough of it everywhere else. We got so many questions from Instagram about how do I emphasize good grades without adding to the pressure? How do I emphasize good grades without tying it to their self-worth? I mean, this is a whole separate podcast, but should we be talking to our kids about college? And if so, how do we create a safe space for that? I think we should totally be talking to our kids about college, especially if they're going to college. Mm -hmm. And that's the expectation. You know, we always talk about what's coming. I think the huge question here is how we talk to them about college. And, you know, you can do a lot of things that make it worse, you know, Mm -hmm. making it clear that it's, you know, it reflects on you, that it's about your own, you know, narcissism and like they need to go to a good college to make the family look good. Right. There's a million ways to mess this up. But there are also a million ways to get it right. And, And I think in that vein of how to get it right is, here's how we've talked about it actually in my home, is to say, look, we expect you to go to college. That You know, we have the resources and we're positioned for you to go to college. We think it's important that you go to college. We really don't care where you go to college. You're going to find the right fit for you. And that's our expectation. Now, I happen to have two daughters who are, you know, school oriented and grades are not an issue. They drive themselves harder than I, you know, wish they would. But if you have a kid who's not there yet or school's not their thing and their grades are faltering and you're worried for them. So then the question becomes, how do you press them on that? Because you might want to press them on that. You might think, you know, buddy, you're 14. You're you're making choices now that you're going to really regret when you're 17. Like, I, I can't just stand by and do nothing. So the way to press is to attach grades to freedom, not grades to college. And first, you have to be fair. You have to be asking kids to get grades that they can get. You know, so I, I, we have to, you know, that's a whole thing. You know, you can't ask straight A's of a kid who may not have that built in them or, you know, that may not be something you need or want or they need or want. So once you've set a reasonable level for the grades, then you can say, look, I need to know that you're getting, let's say, a B average in order to feel that you are showing me good judgment, in order to know that you are coming along in managing your responsibilities and turning in your work and I don't have to have my foot on your neck to make it happen. And when I see good judgment on your grades, then I can count on that good judgment on the weekends when you want to go out and run around with your friends and not have me tracking you on your phone. And that's the connection that can be made. So if you need to lean in on a kid about grades, do it from the standpoint of judgment and responsibility and showing you good judgment where they can so that you can count on their good judgment when you can't see it. It doesn't have to be about college. That uh, yeah, can be set to the side. I, and because and when it comes down to it, not every kid is wired for college and not every kid needs to go to college, um, no. which is a separate conversation. But it, similarly to your daughter's our daughter, at least at this point, is she's very self-driven uh, to the point where I'm like, wow, she's driving herself way harder. She has expectations for her. She's very high achieving and her expectations are way higher than I would even put on her. Mm-hmm. So how do I bring down the temperature on that? Is that possible? It is. It is. And this is something I spend a fair bit of time on in Under Pressure in the chapter around girls in school, because you see this a lot where Girls in particular, of course, there's also boys who fit this profile, get really hardcore about school and hard driving and go the extra mile on everything. And what I would say is as soon as any child, boy or girl, has a good work ethic, and it sounds like Lola's got a good work ethic, then what you want to start to orient them to is being tactical in the deployment of their efforts. And that's what could sometimes get lost where kids are just, you know, trying to shoot the lights out on every single thing. Well, that's not necessary. And so what I say to teenagers is, you know, you've got one tank of gas to get you through this week. Where can you coast? Where do you need to floor it? Do not floor it on everything. You will run out of gas. If you have a really high grade in that class, why don't you phone it in on the next thing if you can afford to get a lower grade? And that kind of conversation with kids can seem unexpected. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't do it with a kid who didn't have a good work ethic in place. But we want them to use their energy efficiently. And sometimes, without meaning to, we've praised overperformance when kids were younger. 
And then they keep bringing these, you know, high A's, high A's on everything expectations. And that soon becomes unsustainable, especially when kids get into very demanding academic programs, maybe by junior or senior year of high school. Yeah, correct. Like, so she has a she she's like, I have an A, but it's a low A. But I'm like, girl, it's an A. And she's like, no, but I wanted an A plus. I didn't I didn't realize there is a distinction in your GPA between an A and an A plus. Well, there, I think there is between an A minus and an A. Right. And yeah. so she was very like upset about this. But I'm like, it's an A. <laughs> and it, you know, and it's an honors class. And she's like, I know, but I just, and I was like, oh, wow. We've tied something to self-worth here that's like not... And it was like, oh, we need to unravel some of this because this is like, let's go get cupcakes. And she's like, I know, but it was just an A minus. But okay, so but like to play in that space. So what if you said to her, okay, well, what exactly do you need for an A? Do you need a 92 for an A as opposed to a 91.5? And if she says, you know, 91.4, if she says, yes, I need a 92, then you say, okay, on the next test, what grade do you need to get to get yourself nudged up to that A you want so badly? And she says, I need a 94. And you're like, great. Try for the 94. Do not try for the 100. Try for the 94. Like, really um, help kids game school, which is not a way we often talk and think about school. And certainly for kids who are not putting in the effort, that's not the right conversation. Right. But we want them to be strategists about this, to not go for these ridiculously high grades when they don't need them. One of the things a colleague of mine told me her son said to her when she was pushing him to study harder and he said, Mom, you know, the difference between a 90 and a 95 is a life. Oh, bold. Beautiful? Yeah, beautiful. my son would say that to me. My son would. My son is the, I can get an A without trying, so why would I try to get an A plus if I can get an A but while also we, playing basketball for an hour? Yeah, we have a, we have a whole new, like, we're going to revisit, we're going to get you back on in two years. <laughs> um, because, that conversation. Well, no, because uh, honestly, I mean, they even said, said it on orientation night. When you get to high school, grades matter. You're everything, on the record. Yeah, everything before that, you kind of can throw some spaghetti at the wall. But, you know, the spaghetti's off the wall for Lola. It's going to be off the wall for, for PC in a couple of years. So we will we will have you back for that one. I'm sure you'll have another book coming. I know. Well. Can I move the topic to, I, I, I'm just looking at my clock, to social media? Because we yeah. got a lot of questions about about social media as well. One um, great one was, what's the balance of monitoring a teen's social media with invading privacy? It's a great question. This is a tricky one to answer because you really have to know the kid. And a lot of what it comes down to is how impulsive your kid is and also who they're hanging out with and how they're interacting on social media. So I'll give the two extreme scenarios, and probably most kids are going to fall in the in-between, but the, you know, the guardrails here. So if you have a really impulsive kid who in their in-real-life socializing is mixing it up a fair bit, is getting into difficulties with their peers, maybe, you know, engaging in a little bit of what we would call bullying or on the receiving end of bullying or often both – you're going to need to monitor their social media a lot because the chances of them doing something dumb and hurtful or harmful or regrettable are high. If you have a kid who's got great breaks, you know, they're Mm -hmm. just, they're not that impulsive. Their frontal lobe works really well most (laughs) of the time. And their social life is really quite kind and easygoing. And they have a good little crew of friends and they're not trying to go far beyond that and see how popular they can become. They just have their happy little band and they hang out together in person. The chances are that's going to also be replicated on social media. That's what we see, that um, social media interactions tend to mirror in real life interactions. Mm. They probably don't need that much monitoring. So it's really looking across those. There are things you do not want your kids looking at. You do not want your kids looking at porn. I, you know, that is like that is. Wait, why not? <laughs> I'm joking. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Continue, please. So it's monitoring. It's a question of like, what are they taking up and what are they putting down? You know, so in terms of the putting down, how impulsive, how do they interact socially? And in terms of the taking up, we don't want kids really of any age seeing things that are frightening, overwhelming or hugely sexual. So in those ways, we we just we monitor from the perspective of and it's kind of how we've been doing it of, listen, I trust you, but there's a lot of weirdos out there. I I have really I I check Lola's phone ish, 
nowadays. But I have to say, when she first got on social media, which was only a year ago, I checked it pretty consistently for the messages and the DMs. But what I found very consistently lines up like it was sweet messages, them sending each other like links to shoes they wanted to buy. Yeah. It was pretty harmless. Our son's not on social media, but I have a feeling like I'll probably need to lock that down a little bit more. So one of the Instagram questions is what happens? You know, my, my teen is experiencing a lot of stress and anxiety, but they're not taking my advice. Is there, how do I get them to take my advice? What would you, how do we respond to that? Well, it's, sometimes it's so hard as a parent because I call it the kiss of death problem. You know, like you could have the best idea in the world and your kid might even have almost just had the same idea and be about to do it. And then if the kid hears it from you, they're like, well, now I can't do it. <laughs> So it can be tricky to be the advice giver, especially when your advice is good, because your teenager especially will not always want it. One thing I would wonder, is there somebody else in that young person's life who could weigh in, whether it's another parent or an older sibling or a trusted cousin or a really great coach or teacher who may be able to offer the same suggestion? And sometimes parents can recruit more neutral figures to give good advice on their behalf. And that's cool, but I, I really, I really want to be a part of this. I'm, I'm just going to say that, like as a dad, and and there are times when I feel like, just like the person who's reading the first chapter of your book, the dad who's like, "Boy, I don't really know what to do here," and um, I like this is despite the fact that I have an extremely self-aware daughter who I told you before actually told me not to listen to her. That's how self-aware she is. <laughs> about her brain right now. But okay, so Kim and I wrote this book about relationships. And it's it's mainly about marriage, but we've seen that it applies in other facets of life. One of the biggest tenets of our book is that mature people ask for what they want. And Mm -hmm. that includes like what you want from each other as a married couple. Kim knows that what I want and also need from her is occasionally just some praise, some affection, just something to kind of like, you know, pet me on. I'm a golden retriever. Just kind of scratch me on the Mm -hmm. head and like, let me know that everything's okay. And I'm there. Um, there. There are some spells when you're a dad and you have a daughter who's having crazy things happen to her body and to her brain that she probably thinks only a woman can relate to. And I understand that. But I want to just say, Lola, I, like that's fine. I just need you to let me know that you love me every once in a while. And I need you to let me know. I'd like, or come give me a hug or something. Just anything. Just, like, just do that for me. And Kim, it's funny. She said, I don't think that you're allowed to do that to your daughter. It doesn't apply in the same way that it does to a married couple. And then she stopped and she said, I think that's the case. Maybe we should ask uh, Lisa about this. So, <laughs> so here, here we are with the question. Um, if, I, if I crave and need that for my daughter, should I just be patient? Or should I tell her that that makes me happy and that makes me feel full? Um, there's a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take option C. <laughs> oh, there's another um, one. Good. Okay. Yeah. Which is... I wonder if you could say, I miss you. I miss our fun times. When you're ready for it, I'm 100% there for it. And so you're naming it and you're letting her know how much you care about her and how much her sweet affection towards you matters to you, but you're not requiring it. You're not extracting it. You're opening the door to it. And, you know, on that thought about giving advice and really wanting to be the one who gives advice... One thing I would have parents bear in mind is Is our view of how that conversation is going to go down, if we really play it out, is totally unrealistic. So our view of how that conversation is going to go down is we say, hey, kiddo, you seem upset. What's going on? And they say, oh, here's my issue. And then we offer brilliant wisdom. And they go, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you know, that kind of input. Right? <laughs> it's, it's never, never going to go like that. Never. The way it's going to go, and this is a... Five-star success if it goes this way. The way it's going to go is you're driving with your kid. They're in the car with you. They complain about something. You say something wise and thoughtful. They roll their eyes. In no way acknowledge (laughs) its utility. And then they go act on what you said. 
And we see that all the time. Kids care what their parents think. Teenagers care what their parents think. We watch it shape behavior. When parents say, this is our value as a family. We don't want you drinking at parties or we don't want you having sex outside of relationships or like whatever parents decide, they roll their eyes and overwhelmingly they go follow that rule. And so the change that parents can make in this is to welcome eye rolling as evidence of having been heard and think like, slam dunk, they rolled their eyes. That means they heard me. They read my text message. That's going to be tough. Our daughter has an all NBA eye roll. No, but she's also very respectful. (laughs) No, she is like a very self-aware, but she has mastered the eye roll. I I think that, um, I think your advice for option C to back up on that was beautiful because what I said to Penn is like, you can't, as a parent, you can't depend on your daughter to make you happy. <laughs> you can always demand respect, but you can't say, it would make me happy if you gave me a hug. Like that sets like a weird- Well, I wouldn't say that. You never said that. You never, ever said that. But like, I'm, in, I'm just thinking 14-year-old brain interprets like, oh, a man is made happier if I show affection. So I'm like, we're not going to do that thing where you say I'm happier when. So I love option C, which well, is like- Well, she's smart. She doesn't, Lisa doesn't want to, uh, you know- side with anyone she's like a good marriage <laughs> no, she's gonna find she's no gonna but find the me. option c of like when you're ready or when you're ready to talk or when you're ready yeah, like i'm really here good. but i do agree that like some of our most impactful conversations have happened in the car because we're not looking at each other we're looking straight ahead and it's been met typically with silence and so lola does feel very safe and she has confided in me in a lot of things but like a lot of times like i say something and then it's just silence and then we change the radio station and then we talk about what's for dinner. This is going to sound crazy, but I'm kind of glad it's happening to you too. Oh, oh yeah. You picture <laughs> that we're like sitting down with like tea under yes. blankets. And no, like, I just, no. I'm imagining that like you close the door because you get a lot more out of her for the uh, most part. Just like major life information you get from her because you are the same gender as her at this point. I don't know that that's going to happen forever. And, but and I like, I'm, I'm getting over the fact that I used to resent that. I know. And, and at least I'm saying it out loud. Yeah. But I'm also not getting major life information. Well, that's good to know. It's mostly about like, does this skirt look good? I mean, it's not, I would be terrible at that. (laughs) You're colorblind. (laughs) I don't have any input on Um, that. Well, that was useful. I, I, I love, I miss our our fun times and I don't want to, I don't want to disappoint her when I say that, mm-hmm. but I, I think that if you frame it the right way, um, Lisa has a way to like put everything in a positive light, yes. which I really like. Um, is there anything else? I mean, again, we could, this could be an eight hour podcast, but do you, I know you have your own podcast. Is there anything else before we wrap up about, you know, you know, any little nugget about what parents can kind of arm themselves with as they tackle parenting in this weird, weird time? I think the challenge is we have our view of what we want to be for our kids and our kids have their view of what they need from us and they don't always line up. So even just thinking about the conversation you were just having, the thought I had is, oh, I think for a lot of kids, especially teenagers, there's a little bit of a division of labor among the parents. They go to one parent for one thing. They go to the other parent for another thing if they're fortunate enough to have two parents at home. Mm -hmm. And that means it's working great for them, right? Yeah. The needs are being met. And we have to remember, that doesn't mean that we're being iced out because they don't come to us about the same things they come to the other parent about. And so for me, the goal in trying to be of use to families is to always try to stand in the shoes of the various parties and see what the world looks like from their perspective. So if we stand in the shoe of a teenager, so Lola gets good skirt advice from you, she gets good tennis cheering from Penn, like you have your jobs. yeah. And across that, you're meeting her needs. This is going great. It doesn't mean that either one of you is coming up short if you don't fill all of those roles. You've just made me feel a lot better. <laughs> I mean, just in general. And I just looked at the the clock and we've kept you for way too long. So oh. I am going to be respectful of your time now. I wasn't before because I had a lot more questions. Um, um, I will say you can learn more about Dr. Lisa Demore by visiting her website at Dr. Lisa Demore. And it's D-A-M-O-U-R.com. And you can listen to her amazing voice on her podcast, Ask Lisa, where she takes questions from parents and answers them. You can also read her regular column, The New York Times, 
And I will say a endless thank you, Dr. Lisa, for, you know, sharing all that you know with us over this last hour and um and for sharing it in that book that you still didn't publish <laughs> nobody saw it it's still on your computer i don't so even know crazy friend, i love it yeah like a friend just forwarded it to me in a pdf so you didn't even have to publish it <laughs> well, thank you this has been lovely oh Such my a pleasure to be with you well thank you thank you thank you and thanks for listening say hi to us online And um, if you made it to the end of this podcast, which I'm sure you did, do a screenshot on Instagram. I love to say hello. So um, thank you. Until next time. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.